Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 234. Because we're in too deep. In too deep. In too deep. Hey, it's a catchy song. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I'm not sure whose attempted at it was better, but I guess we'll leave that for somebody else to debate. Hello, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Wait, are we trying to like, is is that a real song? Uh, it doesn't matter singing? at this point in time. Just singing. Okay. Because there is an old song called Into Deep by, um, oh, who's that band? The ones that sung You Spin Me Round. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So we are going to be talking about the first half of the newest campaign, or the most recently released campaign, The Insmith Conspiracy. Now, we are talking about this just shortly before the release of the next campaign, Edge of the Earth. So we're not talking about that one today at all. We're not discussing anything about that one at all. We are only discussing about Insmith Conspiracy today. And we're mm-hmm. only going to have time for the first half of Insmith Conspiracy today. Interesting. Okay, and just to add confusion, when this show comes out, the the new uh, expansion set will be out. So, Edge of the Earth. Edge of the Earth. Yes, that will already be out when this goes live. Right. That was what I was just uh, discussing. Yes. Yes. We're, we're so that is confusing. Page. But we are not talking about it. Uh, Julia said we're talking about the Shadow over Innsmouth. Ooh, my wife is calling. The Innsmouth conspiracy, not the Shadow over Innsmouth. Well, yeah, but it's based on the story. Hang on a second. It is. So this is a spoilerific episode, right? Uh, we are so if you going fully on all it, of them, yeah. Yes, and and you don't want to hear the spoilers. You probably want to stop listening and just go on without this episode. Um, yeah, generally speaking, though, I'll say I liked it. it. It was fun what I played. I didn't get to finish it all, but okay. Thank you. Bye. See you next week. <laughs> now for the rest of you. Yep. So let's go ahead and start off. Now, then normally we have our general rubric, and we're going to try and highlight the rubric we're going to be doing multiple times a little bit more briefly, but focusing on each scenario one by one. Before we do that, though, I do want to talk about some of the new things that were introduced in the campaign as a whole. The first one that I want to talk about are the key tokens. So there's a set of keys that were special tokens released in this campaign where you can tie in the different sort of keys and they're generally sort of like a bonus gold that you can collect until now the only bonus gold that the game had given you was generally just you got extra victory points by having the keys there sometimes the keys can be important to the campaign sometimes they can be of minor importance but they can give you some other bonus and sometimes they're almost not important at all fluff fluff the tokens themselves look very nice. They're each very distinguishable. It's easy to be able to tell what they are. They're not big. They're not very big tokens, so it's easy to see across the board what they are, and what color they are, while not taking up a lot of room. Whatever card is that they're left on. So, in terms of components and in terms of rules, I think both of those were very well implemented. I'm not going to mention in general each of them for each scenario because it all does basically the same thing in each scenario. For each scenario, though, there was some additional story text about what each of the keys do. I enjoy reading those when, like, when they come up. I enjoy referencing back, hey, what is this key and why did it do whatever it is that it did? 
Mm-hmm. I I think that as we've developed over time, like it used to be that sort of the mechanics would just in general convey by themselves or suggest what the item is and how it was working. I feel like that's becoming more explicit and I don't necessarily feel like that's a bad thing. And by telling you what the key is, I feel like that's sort of helpful because without telling you, it would have said just it's generic map or generic information or it's just a key. But now there's specific explanation about what type of key it is. Like it's a piece of amber that looks like a statue or it's maps of the labyrinth or it's a blood ridden tome or what have you. It gives all that information mm-hmm. and that helps crystallize what the story is without having or possibly allowing for you. <laughs> for solo players like uh, Albert who like to make up their own mm-hmm. stories. It doesn't really allow that as much <laughs> as it used to, I think. Yeah. And and, and to be clear, the keys are, are generic in that the, they're just key tokens, and in each scenario they represent something different. They're a specific theme for that scenario, but otherwise they're generic. And so the, the red key may be really valuable in, in the second scenario and totally junk in the, in the third sort mm-hmm. of thing. The next new thing that was included are flood tokens. And excuse me, many of the mechanics over the course of the game will reference if something is fully flooded or partially flooded or not at all flooded. And the tokens just allow you to remember those states. This over the course of the campaign allowed the designers allowed MJ to be able to figure out which, or, or just mess with states more in ways that normally would have required remembering or required using just a generic token the tokens themselves look very clear. It's very clear which side it's on. Perhaps what's not clear is which side should be partially flooded and which side should be fully flooded. I think that mm-hmm. once you realize and go through it, it's clear. Like the darker looking one is fully flooded. You just have to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's just, it is what it is with that one. You just have to realize and remember it and get used to it. And I guess if if you get it wrong, it's fine. Just one side is fully flooded, the other side is half flooded. Exactly. <laughs> but it's very clear that there's a very distinct difference between the two of them. Yeah, you will not mistake the two sides. And that's what's important for having a good component in this instance. The last thing that was introduced are bless and curse tokens. And the way these work is they're new chaos tokens that are shuffled into the bag. When a bless comes out, it's plus two reveal another token, and the Curse tokens are minus two, reveal another token. And each time, generally, when you pull them out, instead of returning them to the bag, they just return to the pool. The campaign uses them some. There are certain scenarios that use them more than others. There's a whole suite of cards that were released in this set that messed with Bless and Curse. I think this was less about the campaign, and we're more focused on the campaign. We don't do player card reviews. So I'm not going to really discuss so much the blessing and the curse. I will say I enjoyed them. I think they're fun. They add a little twist. They add chaos though to the game for sure. They definitely add chaos to the game, which I think is more fun. It is supposed to yeah. be a chaos bag. It felt to me before adding in bless and curse, it feels very often like, you know, I'm if there's only one token that can fail a test. And so you, you sort of can get these auto successes and you can mess with the math and be more aware of it. And it feels a lot more like you're rolling a die when there's blesses and curses in there, which for me is fun. Yeah. Yep. I agree. But I expect to not mention that at all for the rest of this review. (laughs) Okay. So 
onwards to scenario one, the pit of despair. So briefly reviewing over what, what the pit of despair is, um, this whole scenario, this whole campaign rather is going to be messing with time and that you're going to have one, two scenarios where they're in the present and you don't have any memory of what's going on in the past. And then some of the scenarios are going to be in the past where you you're remembering what happened then, but also going through the flashback in real time ish to say Mm -hmm. the scenarios themselves. There's, there's not really a very good call out between whether you're in the past or in the future. If you're sitting playing the game, you really wouldn't know. And to me, that's, that's really frustrating because I do enjoy the scenario stories for a lot of these. This one starts off in the present and you have to read it and and realize that it's in the present. It's not in a different color in the campaign book. The scenario cards aren't differently colored. There's nothing, there's nothing that really drives home the dichotomy between half of these in the present and half of them are not. When we were talking about the circle undone of the previous one, there's the idea that often you can get stuck with locations that are in the spectral realm. When you're in the spectral realm, things look different. It flips to the mm. green side. It's very much the idea from so many popular medias of, of the idea of you flip to the underworld or the dark or whatever it is. Everything looked different. Everything looked green. I just did not like over the course of many of these scenarios that there was not that visual distinction for whether you are in present or in a memory. And I think that they could have done that by... I think the easiest way to have changed that would have been changing the art for the act and agenda cards to be somehow memory ish and different, not just the same standard book, but a sort of reference, the idea that this is a past memory that you're in right now, even if you don't want to do that to everything at the very least there would have helped drive it home. Also putting some sort of difference in color or something in these scenarios in the campaign guide to show whether you're in the past or in the present. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because I don't want to have to make mention of it multiple times <laughs> because it's an ongoing thing throughout the campaign. When you're playing the campaign, you have to think hard about the story. Where are you in the story? What's going on in the story? Because when you talk through the story and go through the story in order, I feel like it's a relatively easy and simple to understand story. But when you do the story and you're going back and forward in time and you're not really so sure, am I forward in the, in the, am I in the past? Am I in the present? It, it makes it very stunted. And I feel like the story isn't really conveyed well because of that. Yeah. And you, you don't realize it's going on in the first scenario because the first scenario is just the present, right? Then the second one happens and it's like, Oh, it's in the past. Okay. Well, that, that's interesting. But, I, I I found it confusing. I didn't find it that rewarding personally either. And and I got when it got to the rules, it confused me because you got your experience points, and it tells you, okay, you're not going to spend them now. And then the beginning of the next scenario tells you, okay, spend them now. And I, I don't get why I did that. Maybe I was doing something wrong. Well, there weren't it, consistent rules for that. The idea was yeah. was trying to convey the idea that we're in the past now, so you don't have that experience yet. But sometimes they violated the rule. Like the first time they violated that rule is the very first time it came up. So they told you don't that you can't spend the experience because you haven't done it. 
But then they gave a story reason for why you can't, because they had an interlude where you get caught up by another NPC who tells you all about what's happening. And then the game's like, all right, well, now that you're all caught up, uh, go ahead and, and spend your experience. And that's that was coming not from the experience from the first scenario, but that's actually coming from the prep that Agent Dawson gave you. Ugh. Yeah, and, and the way they implemented it, it, it was never clear to me at all. We spent a lot of time going back and forth through the rule book, and, and in the end, we just ignored it all and we just spent the experience we got. Yeah, I think it, I, I it, wish it was they would have done it was that. Neat idea, but. It would have been a neat idea. I feel like it was just frustrating because sometimes it would say, don't spend it. And then you don't spend, it. you get set up for the next game. You start reading the setup and the stuff says, okay, now spend your experience. Like everyone yeah. hold it. What? <laughs> don't play the game. Go it? build your decks again. Like, ah, yeah. that, that, that is no definitely sense. a mechanic. I would have loved to have deleted. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, effectively we did. We just ignored it after that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say no to that kind of thing. <laughs> so having talked about some of the scenario overview aspects, let's dial it in specifically on the pit of despair. So in the pit of despair, you're located in, in a cave, which is going to happen to you quite a number of times. <laughs> but you're located in a cave and your whole goal at this point in time is you're trying to escape the pit of despair. You're trying to get out. And you're going to be exploring through the caves and your goal is to continue to take breaths and a mechanic, which is going to come up over the campaign a bunch is that you have to take a breath. If you spend a whole turn without going somewhere that is not fully flooded, you won't be able to breathe and you'll take five damage at the end of the turn. And the way that the scenario phrases this is when your turn begins, if you're at a fully flooded location, you struggle for air. Your turn ends if you do not enter an unflooded or partially full location during your turn. Take five direct damage. We saw that same thing over and over again. You know, once you've read it, I suppose it becomes clear what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was not the clearest way to have those rules be explained. And you know, I, I, I we comment on the rules a lot. I'm going to ding that piece just for taking taking multiple readings to really be clear of it and then sort of wanting you to summarize for it yeah yeah i think a clearer way of having that happen would have been forced at the end of your turn if you have not taken a breath take five damage and then as a fast action if you're at an unflooded partially full location you take a breath and I would have preferred if it went that way because that's what makes more sense in my head. And that's sort of how I do it every time. Yeah. I I could see that method, the way you described it back backfire for a rule stickler is going to say, oh, no, you forgot to, uh, to take your fast action. You didn't breathe. You walked through the cave and held your breath, apparently. <laughs> yeah, sure. And- <laughs> but yeah i mean you're right it, it's 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 a cooperative game if you're doing that <laughs> i really feel sorry yeah. for you <laughs> find new friends find new friends yeah he he must be a deep one suspicious <laughs> exactly or he thinks you are i don't know anyway so yeah that that was an interesting uh thing that came up mm-hmm. i do like the idea of it i do like the the idea of having to catch your breath and do stuff and and you know struggle with, with the air so the rest of the scenario 
is mostly moving through this tunnel, which reminded me of past campaigns where you have that all of the locations are just adjacent and you can move through them sort of like a dungeon crawler. And all of them just say title tunnels on their backside, or almost all of them say title tunnels on the backside. So you're just moving through exploring. You build up the map as you go. And your whole goal is to reach to to reach into the end and to reach escape. We've had similar camp we've had similar scenarios like this, like in Carcosa. We had the one where you were going through the catacombs and would build out, and your goal was to reach escape, whatever the method of escape was in that one. This one, there's a boss you might have to reach along the way, uh, the amalgam enemy. But otherwise, you just keep going through, find the way out through the sealed exit and win <laughs> reach the escape yeah it's basically a race to the end i came at this from the the point of view of i'm a real big fan of the story by hp lovecraft the shadow of Rinsmith, right so i was playing a scenario that i would say oh i hope this is really going to be very very similar to the story and i'm going to go to explore the different areas that got explored in the story and as an introduction to the campaign this was a letdown in that sense because it has nothing to do with the book really they they mention caves and passing it in the book, but you you never ever go any, anywhere near one. It's interesting so it's, that I didn't really have that issue, but I've never read the book. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it was fine. It was just I was hoping to be uh, the story itself, and it wasn't. It takes place after November. Correct. Right? Similar so. to how the Dumbwich Legacy is taking place after the books. These are all after the books. Okay, and I haven't played those, so I didn't I didn't have any. Didn't compare it to. I was not at all surprised that it wasn't going to be the book itself, but I had hoped. Well, so, I'm glad that you yeah. kept your uh, hopes somewhat limited so that you weren't surprised. <laughs> yeah. So what did you think about the scenario? Did you enjoy it overall? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I found it hard. Um, we generally found these hard because we haven't played much Shadowburn. So I, I didn't play it solo. I played <laughs> it with friends, with my son and my friend. And um, we... You know, we we didn't lose per se, but we definitely struggled and didn't do too well. But it was fun. It was it was interesting. Like I said, I enjoyed the water idea. And I have played solo and with friends. I enjoyed what this one was doing. I like the idea of the dungeon crawl, the exploring around, trying to find a thing. I I think that the addition of the keys. This is the first time that they really throw it in. And it's that bonus opportunity to be able to have extra flashbacks, which can really change up the way that your chaos bag has that based on which flashbacks you manage to unlock, they'll remove different tokens from the bag and potentially give you extra bonuses later on the campaign. So I thought that the keys worked really well. It meant that there isn't, it isn't so clear that it's just blind head for the exit. Like it was in uh, path to Carcosa, here you may want to meander a bit. You may want to continue to explore. That encourages more fun for me, more exploration, more things to do. And I really liked how all of those came in and how all of those tied together. So in terms of how the scenario played through, I definitely enjoyed this scenario. Mm -hmm. That said, let us move on to the second scenario. So the second scenario is the vanishing of the line of Harper. So this one, the basic idea is that now we're in the past and we are investigating in the past about Alina Harper has gone missing and you're here to try and look for her. And she's somewhere, she's been kidnapped, and your goal is to go and investigate where she is. You lay out sort of the less suspicious locations in the town, and then you have to go spend clues 
to be able to reveal reveal pieces from the clue deck. And there's going to be a deck of cards, which are going to be a mix-up of hideouts and suspects. And one of them is set aside. A pair of a hideout and a suspect are set aside at the beginning of the game. And it's your job to spend enough clues to take a guess at who it is that is the set aside one. So you'll be spending those clues to reveal, excuse me, not the clues deck, the leads deck, but you'll be drawing cards from the leads deck and put them into play. So other hideouts and suspects come out, which means that you know which ones it's not. And then at the end of the game, you'll have to take a guess and see which one it is. If you guess successfully, then you get to continue. If you guess it entirely wrong, then you don't get to continue. That is the (laughs) end of the campaign. Does it end right there? Uh, I believe hmm. that if you got it just straight up wrong, yeah. Oh, okay, I don't remember. I think we got half of it right, so so we got to continue. I think that's as a, long that's as a quick you get ending. it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you have to immediately resign from the scenario. Ah, uh, okay, just the scenario. That may be what happens. I don't remember. Yeah, you you immediately lose the scenario, um, and I think you just end up angering everyone and it makes it really it makes it really tough for you in the next one i don't think it ends the campaign but it immediately ends the scenario so this one i found interesting because it's a they tried this first with the the lord of the rings living card game oh did in they? the yes the uh scenario what's it called murder at the prancing pony there's been a murder at the prancing pony inn, and you need to figure out who was the murderer and where they did it at or where they're hiding something like that it's the same idea where there's a deck and you're drawing cards to, to basically whittle down who's not guilty mm-hmm. and at the end make the guess. Okay. So, so it's really familiar. It, it was neat to see that. <laughs> it was not familiar to me. I haven't played that scenario. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was nice to see that they, they're, they're taking stuff from the two games that they try out and like and use it in the other game. Because mm-hmm. I've seen stuff from the uh, Arkham Horror games, I think, in the Lord of the Rings. And I can't remember exactly what right now, but I know I have. I know I have. Well, I really liked this new mechanic and how the scenario played through. I like the idea of first being able to use your clues to investigate new locations and develop other places mechanically. And as that portrays a story, I felt that was very strong. But the idea that the suspect and the hideout are different each campaign, each time you play through, and it can be one of you know six suspects and six hideouts means that it's different each time. And that it's a fun investigation to be able to find what it is. So really do I feel like we're being investigators in these things. More <laughs> often we're just going around punching stuff and yeah. all of it gets abstracted away as just general clues. Here you're finding actual clues. You have to make out a way of doing an investigation. And that's really fun. That's really cool. I think that this is a very strong scenario for the campaign. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That was, it was fun. I, I do like it. I like going around the town. And so now this is in the town of Innsmouth, and there's locations that I recognize from the story. And that was really exciting. I was really happy about it. And if I remember right, w- one of the characters is um, Zadok Allen, isn't it? Uh-huh. Is that in this? Yeah, and he's from the book. He's he's an important character in the story. I so imagine I really all of them are to... from the book. No, there aren't really many characters in the book. Oh, yeah? Um, there's Zadok Allen and, and the kid that runs the... AMP supermarket and somebody else okay. maybe or a couple other people that are, they're all bad but no well I know that a lot of the locations have quotes from the Shadowver Innsmouth mm-hmm. that reference what they are so I know the locations are there yes even if the people aren't necessarily in there yes and I was, I was excited because the map was even laid out 
pretty much the way I think Arkham looks. The things were in the right end of town <laughs> and all this. Is, Innsmouth, I'm sorry, not Arkham. You're right. And and so that was really neat. This is a really exciting scenario for me. Really cool. Like, check it out. I'm in town. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I think this was this was a really good one. All right, let's move on to the next one, Into Deep. So for Into Deep, we are still in the past. And at this point in time, you've now rescued Alana Harper. And your goal is to run through Innsmouth, trying to get essentially from one side of Innsmouth to the other. And there's a flood that is slowly drowning Innsmouth. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something like that just massive massive amounts of property damage everywhere tearing things up but someone has helpfully decided to put barriers all along Innsmouth to <laughs> stop someone from fleeing to safety but not really I assume they're the sandbagging the town maybe it's what it is to keep the water out so they put sandbags everywhere in a nice grid pattern in a nice grid well the town is in a nice grid pattern <laughs> yeah so, I mean, once the town is a nice grid pattern, of course you'll do sandbags in a nice grid pattern. But yeah. I'm pretty sure that sandbags usually go towards the flood line and not against it. So it's it's parallel to the flood line. <laughs> That's true. And not perpendicular to the flood line. Not but much value. Like there, yeah. half of the barriers were perpendicular to the flood line. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I guess that's a bit silly when you look at it that way. But the, the point of it really is to make it hard to walk around in town. This is one that doesn't change at all from playthrough to playthrough. The locations are put out exactly the same. The 24 barriers that make it more difficult for you to escape are the same. So often because of the way the barriers are, for the most part, they're like I think there's one, yeah, there's only one exception to the parallel line. Um so for the most part you'll weave up and down in a row to find the easiest way to get through a barrier and then keep going up. And you'll just sort of weave through and the more weaving you do, the more exploration you do. So while maybe you can think there's a most optimal route to be able to get through all of this in the end, if you want to take the most optimal route, that means you're cutting out a lot of other places that you could go. So I question whether or not there is a most optimal route, but that makes it more fun on return playbacks when they're using those things to at least dissuade you from thinking there is an optimal route. Okay, so my experience was that it it was very much trying to to get through the town and struggling and getting stuck everywhere, and in the end having to make a run for the end, and <laughs> and ignoring a lot of the places. Yeah. So, so it was very much a fun adventure that way, a very fun race to get I out know of town. This one does have one of those goals where if you've explored absolutely everything, you get a really cool thing. I have no expectation of ever doing so. <laughs> okay. Because I just don't think you can possibly explore that much. You have to get all the keys and then get back a couple places before the just before the end of the whole scenario, and that's just too much time to be able to do that. I don't think I have that ability. Yeah, imagine with plenty of playthroughs, you could probably get it down pretty tight, but that'd be that'd be a lot of work. <laughs> it's possible. Um, and then there's the angry mob that pops up right in the middle. This is one that got pulled in from the last camp, the last scenario, where if you made the mob angry by guessing a line of Harper wrong, the angry mob just pops up. And God, <laughs> there were a couple <laughs> gotcha moments that can just totally mess with your ability to get through that. I think that those gotcha moments make it harder to 
go through the first time. But if you know more about them and can kind of expect to be like, don't wait right here. <laughs> this is <laughs> not where you want to be waiting right now. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think for me that I didn't find this one as strong a scenario because when you first sit down and look at it, it feels like, look, you want me to weave through here because it's easier? Well, then I guess I, I I start working towards that. And it felt like I was being kind of railroaded. I was being led on, on a single long snake-like path of this thing. And it was just trying to throw as much barriers against me. And I had to just bash my face against these sandbags to be able to get on up. And it just felt felt kind of sloggy. Mm -hmm. It felt like, yeah. And and that doesn't, that doesn't make the most fun. And then in repeat, playthroughs you know more than many other scenarios it, it felt like a repeat i mentioned with the last one how there's six different of each ones and it's different over time about who it is and who you have to face off with and what methods you have to use to get clues this one it's it's always the same it's meticulously always the same yeah okay yeah i wouldn't have a problem replaying this one just because we didn't do so well i mean so that's interesting. I feel like this was one of the ones we did the best in because we made it to the end and got in the cars and got out of town. Yeah. And that was a big success for us. We didn't explore a lot and we left keys behind and that sort of thing. But, but hey, the, the goal was to get out and we did it. I mean, uh, the I other, think that's the other a good were, thing from a scenario where it gives you the sliding scale of what your goals are. If you're not worried about unlocking any of the extra bonus stuff, I, I don't. Yeah. Well, we were definitely trying. We just couldn't. <laughs> but at least we got out of town. Every other scenario, we sort of passed out and then woke up in the next scenario. Oh, I guess we made it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> right. But sliding goals make it a lot easier to feel accomplished, which is yeah. what the game should which be is, doing. Yeah. So that, that worked out well for me. But yeah. I enjoyed this one. I okay. only played it once. Well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. So let's talk about devil's reef. Okay. So, yeah. This is a neat one. This And this is going to be the last one that we're discussing today. So Devil's Reef introduces a new mechanic, vehicles, which I think was long overdone to be able to be introduced. And so now you have a fishing vessel that you will use to travel out to different reefs, different islands out there, and explore sort of five different locations. And this reminded me of the search for Kadath almost like a mini search for Kadath because in search for Kadath, there were different places that you go to and they were sort of existed independently of themselves and you could go back and forth with them with search for Kadath. You had to actually stop, set each one up here. They sort of just get set up in a mini form along each different way because each Island is all by itself, but you can, you know, take caves underwater from one to the other sometimes, or you can just immediately go from boat to boat. Sometimes you'll even want to drop someone off on an island and continue to take a boat over to another place. And there was a lot of interplay between the different islands and how the map built out. I really liked, this was unique. Like I mentioned before how, you know, the, the first one felt like we're back in Carcosa, things like that. This one felt pretty unique. We didn't really have anything like this, both with the introduction of vehicles and also the idea of a bunch of separate locations that are sort of developing into themselves and being explored independently but also with some interconnection about moving between them i really liked how all of those different things built i liked how all those came through it felt unique and refreshing and enjoyable yeah i thought it was it was neat it was an, a, an adventure i really felt like i was exploring these places and like going in the boat and then getting off somewhere and 
going into caves and looking around it, and it felt it felt very much like an adventure, like very Indiana Jones ish in style. I think I felt the boat was neat. You could also swim if you had to, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Yeah, but it takes your whole turn to swim. Yeah, it, it, it was hard to do, but you know, sometimes you had to do it. <laughs> I don't disagree. And that so that was neat. It was a it's a neat. I like the vehicle. I like that you don't have, that you could get on and off the vehicle. That there's a whole rule for that. Yes, the introduction of the of the vehicles, I feel like it's almost something too long overdone. Like we 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 needed one of those. This one was it the first one that had a big bad monster in it? It did have the big bad monster. It had the Terror of Devil Reef. So this one did have the mini boss, a giant squid like thing, um, which popped up right at your location or right at the vessel's location. And, and at one time was a boss that you had to be able to fight or run away from in order to be able to come do that. I liked the design of him. I liked what it did because you can go hide from him in the cave locations. As long as you're not on the islands, you can hide from this big bad. But on the other hand, you need to find a way of getting around, especially as the caves are getting flooded and you still have this thing about you need to take a breath. Yeah, he, 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 was, he was interesting and he was hard for us. Yeah. He was good fun. We we had our Dodge Tank deal with him. But yes, I think that that was a fun little addition to be able to do. So, all right. So that was our our, our visit of the ha- first half of the campaign. Indeed. We talked about the components and the gameplay. And this. I did not play solo, so I cannot talk about the solo experience. But I mean, the solo experience, all those things, like it's the, I, I don't think any of these differ playing solo yeah. versus multiplayer. I don't even personally play true solo for Arkham much. I generally play multi-handed solo, so it really feels the same. Yeah. And none of this had any particular surprises between those about the difference between solo and multiplayer. Yeah, I find that this game is harder to play solo with just one character. You kind of really have to multi-handed it. Yeah. I, I know there are characters that you can solo, but... But it's less fun that way, because you can play them just as well not solo, and I think it's more fun, more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I would ask you what your favorite is, but I think we'll wait till we've reviewed all of them before we do that. Yep. Okay. That's fair by me. I I found that the game lasts really long. I don't know if it's just me, but games were easily three hours, if not longer, to play from from the start to end for us. And that just seems an awful long for a card game, which it's kind of unfair calling it a card game because it really it's a board game. Just the board game. The board is modular and on paper, but it really is a board. Still, I'm not used to three to four hour games, five hour games. <laughs> That's very true. Innsmouth, uh, Innsmouth had longer campaign, longer scenarios, but I think they're pulling back a little bit from that in Edge of the Earth. Oh man, I said I wasn't going to mention Edge of the Earth. Shoot, I'll it out. But I think that they, I think that they are pulling back away from that in Edge of the Earth because they'll have these checkpoints in Edge of the Earth where you can stop in the middle of a long scenario so it doesn't take three hours. You can stop when you're like an hour in and, and just play that part of it. And it counts as a whole scenario, but it's a little bit more doable. <laughs> Much more manageable. So something to look forward to. Some of those games we played on a, on a work night and you know we were playing till like 11 o'clock and it's like, man, I got I to gotta get up at 6 tomorrow. It's going to be rough. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And a very similar concern. I guess that covers it for this time? For this time. More to come soon. Though you kind of know what's happened because it's half in the past and half in the future and it's a mess. Yeah, right now we're leaving off in the past 
And in the future, you know, we suddenly end up in a cave. So something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 All right. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.